This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and with me today are James and Jordan, two games to go through this week because we didn't have a podcast last week because my internet provider decided to turn off my internet which made it quite difficult to record a podcast so we'll try and make up for it by going over the two games, the Arsenal game and the Everton game this week. Um, no goals for Burnley to talk about, obviously, but we'll um, try and make it an enjoyable podcast anyway. Jordan, we'll start with you. The Arsenal game was another tight game at Turf Moor in which we just didn't really have the edge to get anything from it, did we? No, we didn't. And I think it's slowly becoming a theme of, of our season now, just not having um, enough up front to um, at least get a goal and get ourselves in the match. Um, Arsenal, of course, came to Turf Moor in really good form and um, sort of predicting um, ourselves getting anything from the game was um, certainly not not easy because um, you know the, the attack they've gotten as well I think they've been a lot better defensively as well in, than in recent months and years perhaps you know they've they've just seemed to have clicked um, you know at a decent time really whether it's enough to stop Chelsea or not, I don't know but for us yeah it was disappointing um, I felt we had um, one or two chances there to get something but the goal to concede was just so sloppy and um, quite uncharacteristic for us as well and um, you know there was just quickly referring to, to Everton game you know there were, there were two similar goals really not from uh, far out um, after you know um, failing to clear the ball properly and um, I thought Ramsey showed good composure to put it in the roof of the net like that but um, no again it's like I said it's slowly becoming um, indicative now of, of what our season's been where we just haven't had enough up front to sort of um, you know, real hurt other teams. The last two games have been quite frustrating, I think, in that we've defended quite well for almost all the games. One piece of sloppy play cost us against Arsenal, but we've ended up just taking one point from those two games against Arsenal's person. Really, the performance, apart from a lack of cutting edge in the final third, probably deserves to get more from them, but as you say, that's been the story pretty much all season. Um, on the flip side, Arsenal, as you pointed out, are in very good form. And we restricted them to, to just one goal and they didn't really create all that much on our goal. Tom Heaton, 
had quite a quiet day, unlike at Goodison, where it was extremely busy, it's got to be said. Yeah, um, I also think, well, I think Arsenal probably posed the biggest threat from free kicks. I remember they came close with uh, a couple from, I think one from Cazola and one from Sanchez, and um, it seemed like Sanchez and Heaton were, all having, were having their own personal duel because Heaton made a couple of uh, smart saves to deny Sanchez, particularly that one in the second half where sort of fizzed across the turf and Heaton did, uh, did well to get down to it. But um, yeah, we, I don't think they created an abundance of chances, did Arsenal? I, um, it was just that one moment which which cost us the game, and at this level, you know, you, you can pay for those chances, and and we did do ultimately. Um, you know, we, we never really we feared to clear our lines a couple of times. The ball ricochets about in the area, and before you know, it's in the back of our net. Um, you know, there wasn't that same perhaps cutting edge that there has been, and um, you know, in some ways, it could be seen as. Is you know not too bad because we have restricted them to one goal and um, I don't know if our goal difference is the worst in the division or not. But with how tight it is down there, I think it's worth sort of keeping an eye on because people say that goal difference is worth an extra point. And I think you know in this instance uh, how it's been this season, how tight it is, I think that could certainly be the case. That's a fair point, and it's maybe um, part of the reason we've tried to stay in games even at one nil rather than commit a lot of players forward and risk getting beat three or four now I think that's been a factor in the last two games um, and I think you're right to, to point out the, the slice of luck in the Arsenal goal a couple of ricochets it was the same at Everton of course as well wasn't it they got that little bounce back off Trippier to, to Morales for the goal and it just seems to be that those little breaks we're not really getting at the minute James if we bring you in what, what were your thoughts about the Arsenal game I know it's a while ago now if you can cast your mind back um, yeah I think um, you know really we should have probably got a point out of that game to be honest um, I think you know we did a really good job of um, limiting what Arsenal could do especially when you know they came into the game in uh, such a great run of form um, and you know in the end we didn't really see them have many chances apart from apart from the goal and that was a, a scrappy one it wasn't what you would call an Arsenal goal um, and actually as it fell to Ramsey I, I just thought he was going to uh, lash it over because of the way that you know They've been. I think it was like the third attempt, wasn't it, to, to get it in? And quite often you find that the last player to hit it will just sort of be like try to give it everything, and you know he puts it over the bar. Um, ultimately, I think it just came down to we didn't really have you know anything in front of goal for for us. Um, you know, there's a few chances you look at there where someone gets on the end of it with level. Um, I think particularly there was a Kieran Trippier cross that wasn't far away from Vault, maybe. I can't remember exactly who, but you know, you've got to think that, you know, if you had someone who was in top form and could get themselves on the end of that, then that's a goal. And you know, I think this was what might have been when Duke came on. There was a that great cross from the left hand side from um, Barnes. Or maybe or me, uh, yeah. one of the two, and it sort of flashed across the six-yard box, and someone's just got to throw themselves at it and you know get anything on it, and it goes in. Yeah, I think there's sort of half chance in a way, though. And I understand the, the sort of grasping for that because we are creating so little, but it seems like these little half chances are getting amplified a little bit just because we are creating so little. I don't know. I won't, I won't call them half chances. I'd say that if you've got a, a striker who's in the right positions, those. Are, those are genuine chances. You know, there's a lot of other stuff that you can say, you know, the Danny Ings on the edge of the box where he slipped, that's probably more of a half chance because no one's actually ever really got into a, a real opening. Whereas those crosses are, you know, the, the sort of ball you expect someone to be in position for to take advantage of. Yeah, there was certainly one, I think, the one you're referring to where Barnes put one across the six-yard box and 
look for it as well on the penalty spot yeah, instead of attacking the ball. Classic, get your body on it and yeah, it really should have been on the end of that one. Um, banging uh, the old drum as no more than on an ever podcast. Use of substitutions, I'm afraid. Um, in the Arsenal game, Matt Taylor was stripped and ready to come on about five minutes before the end. Eventually came on. I think it was in the second of three added minutes. Probably touched the ball twice. Um, now I've got no idea whether Matt Taylor's only fit to play for a few minutes at a time at once or what but it just seemed like an utterly pointless substitution and then we saw two late changes at Goodison as well to compound that fact where Dash waited until the last 10 minutes to put on Taylor and Wallace um, it, I suppose talking about losing to Arsenal it's, it's no disgrace the form that they're in but Jordan do you think we did enough to push for a goal at the end? Um I don't know if we merited one because I don't think there was anything too clear cut but um, I think it probably speaks volumes of how we're doing in front of goal at the minute that, that Ben Mee was uh, deservedly voted our man of the match I thought he was very good on the day and um, I remember he put a good ball in from the left hand side he beat Bellerin and then um, I think it was Baidu sort of just completely you know um, didn't connect at all well with the ball properly and it's those sort of chances that you obviously need to be taken, and I think going back maybe uh, three, four months, you know, I think he probably would have would have at least got it on target. Um, but yeah, I think um, there was the Ings chance as well, the old red kick, I think, which was um, you know uh, probably summed up his his form at the minute as well. I mean, it was a difficult opportunity, but um, I don't know if we merited anything, um, you know, in terms of actually scoring a goal, but. Um, I thought we were put on a bit of pressure, and like, but just like I said, there wasn't that clear-cut opportunity that we were perhaps all waiting for, I don't think. OK, we'll move on from the Arsenal game now and talk about Saturday's defeats. It's Everton, another 1-0. Um, difficult game to analyse in a way. There was a couple of decisions that didn't really go our way that we can look at. But overall, Burnley weren't really at the risk. In my view, Everton were far superior and 1-0 was probably flattering towards us, if anything. Although we could have snatched it at the end, Danny Ings had a header that went just over the bar. I suppose the, the pivotal moment was the sending off of Ashley Barnes. Um, so we'll start with that. Jordan, any arguments about either of the bookings? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, Barnes is, I think, con- uh, conceded the most fouls in the Premier League this season and that just, you know, sums up his character. He's quite a fiery character. We've seen that at Brighton when there was uh, the incident where I think he tripped up a referee and was booked for, for six matches. And, um, you know, at this end of the season, tempers can free. I appreciate that, but... You know, when it was um, a game that we could have got something from because Everton don't have anything to play for now. The the sort of that um, upper um, upper part in the lower half of the table now. I think um, you know their season's just you know um, dwindling out. But you know there was something there to play for, and I think obviously it's obviously very simple logic that you retain a far better chance of getting something from a game when you've got eleven men on the pitch um, as opposed to ten. And I thought they were. Um, pretty clear bookings. I don't know what he's doing with the first one because I think he's one or two seconds late on McCarthy who's played the ball out to the left and um, I'm not really sure what he's doing there. I think it's a bit bit needless. Um, I don't know. I think there was a midfielder in the middle covering the run anyway so perhaps he didn't really need to make the tackle. Um, and then the second one as well was... Um, yeah, I thought they were, that was a clear booking as well. Um, so, you know, it, um, bad time to be sent off, of course. I don't think it was too long before uh, before half time. Um, yeah, it was about a minute before the break. That was one of the most frustrating things for me. It's, I don't think Coleman was re- even really going anywhere. Me seemed to have it covered. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, re- really disappointing. Um, and, 
well, I'll, I'll probably touch on it later, but maybe could be a blessing in disguise having to change it on the left now and, and maybe bring in a genuine winger. But um, yeah, I, I can't have any complaints for the sending off at all. We will certainly talk about the changes to the team later in the podcast. Um, we spoke a while ago on the podcast, James, about Barnes and his physicality and his approach to the game, especially in the wake of the Chelsea game where he made all the headlines for the, the tackle on Matic that was actually a pass. Um, was was the sending off just inevitable at some point, or do you feel like he should have had a bit more sense in that situation? Um, I think it probably was inevitable. Um, I don't know what his track record is for for two yellows though, um, but I, I know I can definitely remember he got sent off didn't he for stamping on Chris McCann uh, at the Amex once. I think that was the game where Gus Poyer went mental. Um, <laughs> Isn't that every game? <laughs> but, yeah, pretty much. But I think that one uh, extra <laughs> <special> particularly <game>. mental. <laughs> I think he tried to leave the ground or something, didn't he? Or was that a Yeah, yeah, that was a memorable game. I haven't seen the actual first booking. For some reason, it's not in the highlight package, which you think it would be since it led to a send-off. Um, but I heard that one might have been a little harsh. But I think it was, it was a difficult one, really, because it's a fresh air tackle. But I think... I think he's trying to bring the player down. I honestly think so. Dash came out afterwards and said there was no malice in either tackle. I don't think that's true. I think the first one, Bosley, is going for the player. I think that's why he got the booking. He was chasing after him and he was, the ball yeah. wasn't even on the scene. <laughs> I just said it might have been a, a little harsh, but I think he actually now has the sort of, I think particularly because of what Mourinho said, he's probably not going to get many decisions in his favour, um, even if it, you know, referees don't necessarily think uh, what Mourinho says is true. They've still probably got that in the back of their mind that, you know, they've heard that name before. Um, but I mean, the, the second one that we're sending off is just clumsy, isn't it? It's, um, you know, as they used to say, a proper striker's challenge. He's just nowhere near the ball. Uh, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any malice in it, but it's just clumsy and it's a booking every day of the week. Um, it's a bit silly when he's already been booked. But I think it was a little bit disappointing, though, to see that. You know, he got a, a book in and a sending off for that. And there's the Morelis challenge later in the game where on George Boyd, yeah. that he's just a straight red every day of the week because that's fuggish. That's really, really bad. I was going to come to that one next, actually, because that's that's the frustration. I mean, I've already said I feel like Everton were much the better side and we probably didn't deserve to take anything from it. But if Morales is sent off for that stamp on Boyd, then it's 10 against 10 for, what, about half an hour, the last half hour of the game, maybe? And we've got every chance of getting something from it. The third decision I wanted to bring up as well, Jordan, the penalty itself, obviously heat and save from Barkley. Did you feel it was inside or outside the box? There was a suggestion that he maybe started outside the box and finish inside the box, which means it would be a penalty. But for me, Lennon was already going down before he crossed the line. Yeah, people say when when players are going that quickly that it only takes a slight touch for them to go down. Um, I thought it was a really difficult decision to make, and I can't help but feel that had he not given it, um, he probably would have got berated by the crowd. So I, I think you know in situations like that, they'll probably deny it, but referees will will think that they can. Um, that they'll be influenced by the crowd, and I thought they were a bit there. Um, but um, yeah, I'm just how much they're just watching it back on the house. To be honest, the initial contact's just on the line, so and he goes down in the area, um, as you said. So I think for me, I'd have probably given it to be honest. Um, I mean, it was a terrific save by Heaton, so it didn't matter too much in the end. Um, I don't know what it is with Everton and penalties, but they just can't seem to find the right man to take them. But um, 
yeah, I, I probably would have given it. I thought it was a was a fair uh, decision, to be honest. That is very strange that Baines has stopped taking them, even though he's got an exceptional record. It's a very odd situation. Nah, I, I, if it was us, I'd be certainly asking why Baines isn't taking the penalties. I think he's only missed one in his career. It's, it's very odd. Um, you mentioned Heaton saving the penalty. I thought he was absolutely outstanding on the day. And it wasn't for, for Heaton. It could have easily ended up 3-4 of Everson, I think, in the second half in particular, where we were a bit more open at the back. Yeah, absolutely. I thought um, Tom Eaton was terrific. Um, definitely our man of the match. And again, you know, with Ben Mee getting it against Arsenal and Tom Eaton against Everton, it's just showing you sort of um, how... Uh, how much we're struggling in front of goal, but you know, um, yeah, I thought he was superb. Um, he's got a good record at penalty saves. I think when he played in the League Cup final for Cardiff, he saved from Gerrard and one or two other players. So it's certainly not phased by him, um, even though he's perhaps not the most, um, you know, the, the tallest or the most physically imposing goalkeeper. But um, he's agile. I think he's you know got terrific reactions um, and he's a solid shot stopper. And I, I think I questioned him after the Manchester United game where we conceded um, from the two the two set pieces and. You perhaps think, oh, he could have come out and claimed them, but um, you know, you see games like what happened on Saturday and, and just how um, good he can be. Um, you know, he was at no fault for the goal whatsoever. Again, that was down to us not clearing it properly, and you know, it was from point blank range, and Morales wasn't going to miss. But um, I thought everything Eaton did on Saturday was was as good as you can get. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the plays in front of him just haven't quite matched those standards. It was probably a sign of how dominant Everton were, especially in the second half, how busy Tom Heaton was. Um, the main thing I want to talk about tonight is the lack of goals. Obviously, it's becoming a big concern. That's three games without a goal. It's only one goal in the last seven. George Boyd's winner against Manchester City. Um, and to be absolutely frank, unless we start scoring goals, we are going to be relegated. It's stark to put it in those terms, but that is what is going to happen. So, James, if we can start with you, why... why why do you think we are having such a problem in front of goal? Is it problem creating chances? Is it the strikers not putting them away? Is it the shape of the team? Is it tactic? What are your thoughts on the goals? Because it's obviously the defining problem at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of the two, really, to be honest. Because, you know, there are chances there. And, you know, we highlighted one before, the Barnes cross, where, you know, you'd expect a, a player to be in position for that. Um, obviously, there was the chance George Boyd had, um in a Spurs game, I think it was, where he, he, he just completely misjudged it and it like loops up off his ankle. And, you know, really, you think he, he had time to take a touch. He could have taken a touch and then hit it and he should be scoring there. Um, but at the end of the day, you don't expect to have to rely on people like George Boyd scoring because you should be getting something from your strikers. And, you know, I think partly, you know, you look at the way Danny Ings have been playing recently. I don't think you can question that he's putting effort in. Um, but I'm just not sure it's always entirely productive effort. You know, there's like he sometimes seems to hold on to the ball too long, or he makes the wrong pass. I think there was one chance a few games ago where we're on the break. There's three of us against sort of two the opposition's defenders. He ends up looking left to, to Sam Volk. But on the right, George Boyd's in plenty of space. And, you know, if you get it out to the right where there's a lot of space, you've then got two men in the box for a cross. So I think, you know, a lot of it's just down to sort of decision-making from, you know, a small number of players um, who really are the guys we should be relying on to get into those positions. And, you know, there was the Ings chance, well, I say chance, would have been a chance um, late in the Arsenal game where, you know, both him and Sam Volk seem to, you know, get mixed up a little bit and Ings ends up slipping and, you know, it was really opening up for him. So he should have just been looking to hit it there, to be honest. I think you're right that it's, it's decision-making partly. And I think the last thing you said absolutely nails it. Players aren't shooting. I think that was a major thing. There's a couple of times in the last few 
two games in particular where it's opened up for a player and they've not put their foot through the ball. Why they're afraid of shooting, even if it's from outside the balls, I don't know. But how many goals have we scored from distance this season? I can hardly think of any. The the Wallace free kick at Leicester, which is a dead ball, and apart from that, I can't think of any. And to be honest, I think that is actually part of the problem. But that's been a problem all season. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look back, I think early on, uh, Scarfield maybe had a few efforts from range that, you know, obviously didn't go in, but he was at least having a, a go. You know, I think at this stage, you've got to be looking, if it opens up for you, you know, even if you're 30, 35 yards out, you've got to put your boot through it and, you know, make the keeper work. Because, you know, worst case scenario, it, it doesn't go in. But, you know, at best, you, you score or you get a you know a nice rebound from the keeper and, you know, someone who's close in can just tap it away, tap it in. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, one of the oldest cliches in football, but if you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the raffle, you've got to have a shot to score a goal. Unless you're Burnley against Liverpool in the FA Cup and you've got Jimmy Traore going to do an own <laughs> goal for you, which doesn't happen that often, unfortunately. Um, talking about Ings' decisions, actually, there was another moment on Saturday where we almost did to Everton what teams used to do to us in the 90s every week. We almost scored from their corner on the break. Now, Ings brought the ball out, and he had players were getting into the pot. I think there were three players, maybe Arfield, Boyd and possibly Votes, although I wouldn't swear on it. But when Ings got to a position where he could have laid it off, two of them were behind defenders and the other one was behind Ings, I think. So I don't think he actually looked up before shooting anyway. But had he looked up, the players were forward, but not actually giving him an option. So I think that's another issue in there. Jordan, if we can bring you in on this, what do you think the issue is with goals? We've talked a bit about Danny's form already. It's obvious that we rely quite heavily on Danny's. I think the stat is that half of the goals we've scored this season have either been scored or assisted by Ings. Um, I think in terms of goal scoring in general, um, this sort of one-size-fits-all mentality we've got with regards to team selection could be hampering us uh, in some respects. It's this sort of reluctance um, to change the team about, to sort of tailor it to the team we're playing rather than just putting the same team out there and hoping that it can do as well against, say, a store because it can do against a Chelsea who, of course, play um, entirely different brands of football. Um, so, you know, I think we need to be sort of more open-minded when it comes to, to team selection. Um, I touched on earlier the Bonds sending off. Um, you know, he did well against Zabaleta, I think, against City down that left-hand side for us, but maybe against someone like Seamus Coleman who just gets up and down the right wing all day long and um, is very sort of attacking. You perhaps need someone a bit more defensive, maybe, um, you know, perhaps reshuffling, maybe putting our field um, out wide and then maybe someone else in the middle. I know we've got options, well, the thin on the ground in the middle, but just, you know, maybe being, like I said, a bit more open-minded with regards to who we're playing and and where we can target the weaknesses and, and whatnot. Um, I also remember, I think it was after the uh, Arsenal game, Dyche said um, that, you know, we're not creating, um, we, you know, we need to start creating even better chances than what we are creating. Um, he said we're creating good opportunities, but maybe we need to make them even better. And I just thought, well, I, you know, you're not going to do that with the same frequency that you can do in the Championship. You know, we were not going to be getting, um, you know, goals on a plate for us like we did um, last season, maybe against like a Charlton at home or a Birmingham at home. Um, so I think I agree with with your two assessment the fact that we need to start perhaps shooting more. You know, it can be something as simple as that. Um, I've looked at the stats. We had uh, ten shots on, on Saturday against Everton and one on target. 
Um, you know, and I think also what perhaps sums it up is is the Ings had a late on he had against Everton as well. Um, his reaction after was something that you'd expect. Well, something that wouldn't have perhaps looked out of place last season when he went through that barren spell, similar to what he is doing now. Um, around this time of the season as well, the similar sort of times of the year, um, and he just you know screamed and sort of you know gripped his hair, and it was it's frustrating for everyone. But um, yeah, I just think, like I said, a bit more open-mindedness with team selection and, and just generally shooting more, and and you know just improving, working on the shooting accuracy and from different positions and different scenarios. One player that we haven't really mentioned um, in relation to this, this goal-scoring problem is Sam Volk, who all season on the podcast we talks about the need for everyone to, to be patient. It's going to take some time for him to get up to speed again. Ings Volk's partnership isn't necessarily going to be as good as it was last season. It's going to take some time to gel. It has been a few games since Volk's came back into the team now. He hasn't scored a goal yet. He hasn't really looked like scoring a goal yet. James, what's your assessment of how Volk's been doing since he came back in? I think it's hard to say, really, to be honest, because um, I think it's a tough one to judge him on because it you know, is a step up from what we saw last season. And he's coming back from you know a serious injury that... In the past would have probably been the end of his career um, but he just doesn't feel like he's getting into quite the same positions he has done previously you know I think his work uh, you know away from the area has been you've been good and it's what you expect to Sam Vogt um, but you just need him to get into those goal scoring positions again you know particularly when I think Kieran Trippier's sort of his form has you know, improved as the season's gone on and he's he's crossing I think he's back at the level you expect from him but we just need someone to get on the end of them um, and you know the you can't really think of anyone better in the side can you than Sam Volks with his aerial presence so I think he's really needs to be getting into those sort of positions so that we can uh, make the most of what's coming from our fullbacks. I thought he was quite disappointed on Saturday and I thought it was telling that um, it was Volks that made way for Jokovic quite early as well certainly early for Dyche I think it was before an hour had been played um, Jordan how do you think Volks is doing and it, why is the Volks-Ings combination not working now as, as everyone was hoping if not expecting yeah, I think everyone, myself included, um, had this um, hope slash expectancy that when Volks came back in, everything would be hunkadory and we'd, we'd start climbing the table. But it just hasn't worked out yet. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I can't think it's teams suddenly becoming wise to us because surely with the rate of goals Volksings were scoring last season, championship sides would have come wise to it. Um, so I, I don't know if you know they're being sussed out or, or what, but um, as James rightly said, Trippier's form has slowly but surely become a lot lot better and, and the deliveries are there again and I don't know um, in terms of sort of physic- physicality and, and height maybe I don't think the defenders in the Premier League will differ too much from championship defenders um, you know whether they're slightly smaller or not I don't know but um, I don't know it's difficult to put a reason on why it hasn't quite caught fire I, I can't suspect he's still feeling any sort of slight niggle from the injury he certainly hasn't looked um like hampered in his movement or he hasn't looked immobile or anything like that so um, I'm not sure maybe it is, it is it's difficult um, we, we've had a few strikes I understand why you're not coming up with an answer because if it was that easy Dash would have an answer <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I'm just I'm well I'm just uh, rambling on but you know we do have a, a few different options and we can't really I don't think we can afford to be taking risks and start playing like Sordell or anything like that or Djukovic because I don't think they're up to the required standards. So, and with Barnes playing out wide recently as well, we've, we've sort of been less with Volks in the middle and it just hasn't caught fire. So, I mean, you know, I'm scratching my head as much as Sean Dyche to come up with a solution, but I'm, I'm failing, as you can probably tell. <laughs> well, we, we, 
talked a bit about changes to the team for the last game. We'll come back to that later, but I am going to make a case for Marvin Sordell, so that's something to look forward to later in the podcast, or if that completely infuriates you, just turn off now and go about your business. Um, There's five games to go then. We did fall down to the bottom of the table on Saturday with Leicester City winning again their third victory in a row, and Leicester, of course, comes to the turf at the weekend. But we were still in the same position really I think we're still two points drift so hasn't really damaged us that much the five games to go I'm sure everyone knows what they are already but just to go through them it's Leicester at home and West Ham away Hull away Stoke at home and then the last day of the season Villa away which already feels quite terrified Villa of course in the FA Cup final which might be a benefit for us or and disadvantage we'll have to see how that plays out those five games that we've got left then James there's going to be pressure on every single one now but are we still thinking maybe three wins from the five would be enough what what do you think the chances are at this stage I think three wins from the five would be enough but uh, getting tough to see where they come from but I mean to be honest though actually if you look at the games we've gone through, you'd probably think actually that we might have got a little bit more than we expected from the last couple um, you know Spurs are a big side and to get a draw against them was you know, a good result for us, even though, you know, looking back at it, we probably could have, um, you know, if we created a few more chances, we probably could have got all three points because they really went on on the on their game. And obviously, Arsenal, the form they're in and the side they are anyway, you don't expect to get anything out of that. Um, and Everton, again, if you'd looked at the beginning of the season and the, the way they played last year, I know they've had a bit of a disappointing year compared to that this year, but uh, you still wouldn't have been, you know, taking it as an expected, you'd get even a point from that. So, um, you know, I think you've probably got about what you expected from the last three games, if not a bonus point. Um, but obviously, Leicester on Saturday is probably you know the, the biggest game out of, out of the lot. If you don't win that, um, I think it's really tough to see us staying up, um, particularly with the, obviously the form that Leicester have come to, which I think has surprised probably everyone since they, they did look pretty much dead in the water for a little while there. Um, but I think actually Villa's result of the weekend has, has probably done us a favour. Um, because it looks like they're not going to be in the in trouble now come the final day of the season. So they're probably all going to have one eye on the week after and playing in the FA Cup final, um, which obviously could give us the opportunity there to, to, to get a win. And uh, I'm sure Tim Sherwood, being Tim Sherwood, would play a lot of young players in that last game if it was a dead rubber for Villa. So that would possibly work in our favour as well. But that's a long way away. Um, we'll talk in detail about the Leicester game. Uh, a bit later but looking at those five games Jordan can you see us getting enough results now given that I think it's one win in 12 um, going off recent results um, the obvious answer is no um, they're obviously um, I think difficult games in their own rights um, I am particularly quite quite scared of Leicester I must admit this resurgence they've had has come just at the right time and there always seems to be one team that suddenly manages to, to string a few results together and it looks like it's going to be them this year. Um, you know, they've got a lot of pace, likes of Vardy and uh, Mares. Uh, Nugent's quite quick as well, um, who's injured at the weekend. But um, yeah, I, I, I can't see us getting what we need, to be honest. Um, I came away from the Everton game feeling really deflated, the, the, the worst I've felt for quite a while, because um, I really did think it was a, a tangible opportunity to get something from. And maybe we'll, we should be looking to the likes of Stork, who. Um, you know, don't really have anything to play for. I mean, if you look at Leicester's w- recent wins, 
They've come against West Ham, who are just, um, as you'd expect, straddling, you know, mid-table. West Brom, um, they had a very slight danger of going down, but even so, I don't think they would have done. Uh, and then Swansea again, who, you know, probably won't get into Europe. I think there's a bit of a gap between them and whoever it is above them, Southampton, I think. So, um, yeah, maybe it's those teams that we probably need to be looking at and targeting to get wins from. Um, you know, Stoke and then um, Villa as well, maybe. Um as James said, with with their sort of focus on the FA Cup final the week the weekend after us, but um, I think the games against Leicester, Hull, and um, well, just those two, sorry, will will be difficult. I think they'll be the the hardest two out of the lot because we're all in that same boat, scrapping for points. Um, we've got a good record at the KC, so maybe history not history is on our side there a bit, and that might come into it psychologically. Um, but West Ham, I, I don't think we're brilliant at, and. Um, you know, we lost to Leicester at all last season, so I'd, I'd, I'd honestly say no, I don't think we can get the results based on recent performances, but unless something happens between now and, and Leicester and suddenly things click into gear, then, then no. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you would ordinarily, it's certainly a six-pointer as much as that is cliche, because obviously if we don't get the three points and Leicester do, then they're six points better off than we could be. But given that we've been talking about three wins for probably a month or so now, There'd still be four games left. There's still the same four games. There's still four games that we touted as being winnable. So it wouldn't necessarily be always lost. It just psychologically becomes so much more difficult to have to turn around a losing team. And I think that might just be what's difficult. Um, there's some quite interesting comments from Sean Dash this weekend. We don't often mention them because talking about what the manager said, I don't think it's that interesting. Feel free to get in touch if you do think it's interesting we can change. But before the game, he said um, he was talking about diving and he said he doesn't want his players to dive. We're not going to dive. That's not what we're all about. And after the game, there was obviously the the Morales tackle on Boyd that we've already mentioned. And it's been pointed out by a a few people that it was certainly a red card. But it was noticeable our players weren't surrounding the referee, they weren't demanding that, that Morales was sent off. And you look at a lot of other teams, there would have been, and it might have influenced the referee to actually make what would have been the right decision. So what Dyche said after the game was that fans don't want to see players surrounding referees. He said it's frustrating, you do you try and do things in the correct manner and it doesn't work for you, but it is not a route we plan on going down. <laughs> now, I think that's 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 laudable in a way, that he's, he's got the attitude and he wants to do it the right way. But in a game of fa- fine margins where we've seen how it can go the other way against us when when teams do complain about decisions and get in the referee's face is is that the right attitude what, what do you think about this James would you be happy to see us start being a bit nastier do you think we need that edge um, I think there's been nastier and there's still and, and not cross I think getting in the referee's face is wrong I, you know, I'd agree with you know Dash on that entirely though saying I agree on that if anyone who Listen to this, you ever played football with me, you'll probably remember that I wasn't particularly good at that myself. But um, I think being nasty, you know, maybe taking a few liberties, probably. Um, you know, just the small things that, that you know you can get away with. You know, maybe roughing opposition players up a little bit more in a way that's, you know, not going to get noticed by the referee. Um, but I think, you know, obviously Dash is definitely right to say you don't want our players surrounding the referee. I don't think it looks good when you see, you know, the highlights and, you know, there's nine players from one team all around the referee. Because ultimately, it never makes the referee change his mind. Um, and I think, if anything, it might actually end up working against you. Um, so I'd rather us not, uh, you know, lower ourselves to doing that kind of, that kind of behaviour. 
with regards to sort of um, harassing the referee, um, I'd, I think watching it, I'd, I'd be quite uncomfortable seeing sort of our players, um, you know, harass the referee like that because we're not used to seeing it, I don't think, as Burnley fans. And um, with regards to like going down and diving, um, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, if you do perhaps go down a bit easier um, and maybe start appealing to the referee a bit more sort of... Um, you know, vociferously, you might get more decisions. But you know, on the other hand, it's sort of it made me feel uncomfortable as a fan knowing that we've perhaps um, sort of almost cheated our way to maybe a point or three. And you know, it, it depends kind of your view on it. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see to hear Dach say that. Sorry, because um, I know he said Marie. Uh, sorry, a manager um, said to him that perhaps we need to start going down a bit more and maybe. Uh, taking advantage of uh, referees' uneasiness, and uh, I almost let the the name slip there, but I don't think there's been any prize for guessing who it was that that sort of uh, told him to do that. Um, but I don't know. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't mention it there, but I assume everyone who saw that comment has come yeah. to the same conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that she's going to go into training and say, right, you know, we need to go out on Saturday, maybe go down a bit easier, because I just don't believe that's part of his thinking. And I think he believes we've got the quality in the side to um, to affect games without. Um, you know, having to to resort to those tactics, but um, you know, <laughs> if, if if you were to say now maybe on the final day of the season, if we had um, you know playing Villa and, and we were losing one nil, we had to get a point to stay up, and maybe Ings drives into the area, maybe you know comes under a threat possibly from a from a push. You know, if he goes down, then I'd be encouraging him to go down. I, you know, I won't I won't lie. So it, I guess it's sort of context dependent. Um, if we were losing two or three nil, and there wasn't really a chance of any sort of tactics like that affecting the game, then I wouldn't really see the point. But I'll be honest and say that, as I said, if we're in dire need of a win or a point, then I wouldn't be adverse to it, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I really can't imagine uh, Sean Dash ever going to the training ground and being like, you know, in his gruff voice, all right, lads, today we need to work on diving. So, But I don't think any of them do that. I think it's it's more more what what the players think is expected of them, I think. I mean, there's maybe a couple of managers out there where you've seen the way their team's playing, you go, they must have sessions devoted to cheating or PowerPoints or something to get those marginal gains because it's just seems like there's there's too much of it going on to not happen. But I just think otherwise it's it's more the the attitude throughout the squad set by the manager, whether that happens. I don't think it would be a case of Dice saying, right, we've not been diving, it's not been working, now we're going to start diving. It's more sort of a, a general overall thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm quite in favour of um, maybe bringing a few of the old school roughing people up tactic um, that you can, you know, get away with in the course of a game. But um, there's just something about diving that does make me feel very uncomfortable. And I think ultimately that it comes down to an officiating problem that, you know, I think it's got to the point now where players feel the need that they have to go down to get anything. Whereas in the past, you know, the referee, if he thought someone was, um, you know, being held back, give the penalty, he wouldn't wait until the guy was held back so much that he's rolling around on the floor. Yeah, that was a good part. And we remember the, the Sam Volts one in the Swansea game at the end, of course, where it was a penalty and... But stayed on his feet and didn't get the penalty. So I think that's that's a really good example. And I agree with you on that. But I think a lot of people out there would be listening to what Jordan was saying about that hypothetical situation where if it was a case of cheat and stay up or don't cheat and go down, what would you rather we do? Like, would you would you would you even remember it after a while? I don't know. It's, uh, it's yeah, a funny the, one. At the time, I would definitely be annoyed that we we cheated to stay up, but then. You know, come opening day next season, I probably wouldn't remember it ever happened. So, 
exactly. Um, if somebody, the chance that somebody else could easily do it to us anyway, someone like Jamie Vardy could cheat on Saturday and get Leicester a point that keeps them up or something like that. So. Almost certain, really, to be honest. Almost <laughs> He's certainly going to dive at some point. He's certainly one of those. Moving on to the Leicester game, then, it's it's probably the biggest game of the season so far. I'm sure Sean Dyche will be saying one game at a time and all that stuff, but it's certainly a six-pointer and it's going to have a massive impact on whether either side stays in the Premier League. I think we've already mentioned a little bit, John was talking about possible changes to the team. There is going to have to be at least one, which is exciting because Ashley Barnes is suspended, so Sean Dyche is going to have to do something. Um, so does that mean we're going to revert to playing a winger out wide? Could it be a case of a subtle shift towards more of a 4-3-3 and bringing a striker for Barnes? It'll be quite interesting to see what he does because Leicester do play 4-3-3 quite often, don't they? They play three across the front, so we might choose to match them. Sean Dyche isn't exactly known for his tactical flexibility, however. Um, James, firstly, what do you expect Dyche to do? And secondly, would there be something different that you would decide to do on Saturday? To be honest, at this stage, I'm, I'm not sure I, I do know what to expect them to do. Um, I didn't expect I, I think the, the most obvious thing and likely thing, I think, is a straight swap. Kitely comes in for Barnes. Well, that, I was about to say that. That's because that's, that's, the, that's what the team was before, isn't it? So it would just yeah, be reverting to that. Personally, that's what I'd do because I think that you know, Carter's maybe been a little hard done by at times this season. He's, he's, you know, in some of those wins, um, you know, particularly Stoke away, I thought he was pretty, you know, pretty sound and, um, you know, did all the right things. But, you know, he could throw a curve ball because, to be honest, I don't think many people expected when he brought Sam Volks back in to play with Barnes out wide because that's just not something you thought Barnes was probably even capable of, to be honest. Um, but obviously we've we found out that we were all wrong there and he was capable of it and he, you know, he did a decent job until obviously he picked up a bit of a daft suspension. I but, think Bonds on the left works in the City game. I don't think it's really worked in the other games. Mm. I think it was a bit of a surprise tactic. Maybe it worked. Um, I didn't actually see the City game in person. I saw it on TV. I thought it was all right, but actually I, I thought he was really good against Spurs as well. Um, so maybe just two games it worked there. But I know I thought it definitely worked against Spurs, though you did sometimes wonder if we were maybe missing what he brought when he was up front. Um, I think really actually the biggest impact this has on the next game is not who comes in to replace Barnes, but it's um, what do we do later on in the game. Well, I think now you've taken away one of your options, whereas you know sometimes you could sub off folks, you could sub off things, you could put Barnes up front with whoever comes on, or you could bring on a midfielder for one of the strikers and you've still got Barnes. Now you're down to just Djokovic and uh, Sordell as the other strikers. Um, and obviously neither of them scored in the Premier League. Um, and I think Djokovic has completely lost every aspect of his confidence. Um, you know, I think up until the Sunderland game at home, he wasn't actually... You know, bad at all. He, he should, if he'd scored against Sunderland, he probably would have been all right. But he hasn't, and I think now it, you can really see that the fact he's not scored in the Premier League is really weighing on him. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely going to be Carly to come in. I think that's the you know the right decision. I think um, I think the return of Matty Taylor as well maybe gives us a couple more options in that respect. He started the season for us. I think he played against Chelsea and Swansea. I wasn't sure what game he picked up the injury, and in. I think he might have even been in training. But I think um, we were obviously playing him on the left, uh, maybe to, what, to sort of help bend me out down that left hand side because um, Taylor used to play at left back, of course, and I think he's quite more defensive minded than Cartley. That's for sure. Um, so I think there's an option to maybe play him out wide although I, I don't think he will do that I think he will probably go with Cartley 
um, for that out and out, you know, width and and uh, you know the pace and being able to put put deliveries in. Um, I've seen as well a couple of people possibly say um, that Taylor could partner Jones, which I'd be I don't think I'd particularly be keen on because I think they're quite a similar sort of play, both left footed and um, really like to just you know um, recycle possession, you know, keep the ball moving. I don't think neither really can can perhaps drive forward with the ball perhaps so um, I don't know I think like I said the return of Taylor certainly gives Darch food for thought and maybe some options but I'd personally uh, go with the general consensus that Cartley would come back in and I'd be glad to see that yeah, I think what you said actually with Taylor there is quite interesting because you can see obviously the defensive benefits where you know I think you said that Ben Mee was deservedly man of the match against um, Spurs was it? Arsenal, um, Arsenal. 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 Yeah, Arsenal. But I think first half against Arsenal, actually, you could see his defensive frailties. Um, yeah. But the reason he was he had such a good game is the second half, he was absolutely phenomenal going forward. Um, so you can see that sometimes he seems to weakness. But to be honest, against Leicester, I think we've just got to be as attacking minded as possible because you know we've not scored in a while, and more than anything, we just need some goals, and we need to beat Leicester by more than one. And we've not beaten anyone by more than one goal yet this season. So I think now is really the time. You know, we want to get on the score sheet. We've got to want to get on the score sheet plenty. Um, so we've got to go as attacking as possible. I don't think you're getting a bit carried away. I think we'd all take a one nil. <laughs> well, maybe, but you, how do you want to I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll see go point, after though. ten minutes? No, you're right. That would that would be horrible. I don't want to see that. Oh. I think you've you've made some excellent points. I, I do think. If, if I had to put money on it, Kyle for Barnes would be the only change. I don't think Dash is going to do anything too radical. However, I I think we should make more changes. I think a team that's won one game in its last 12, has scored one goal in its last seven, I don't think we can play that team and expect to get a result. I think that team is, is dead, honestly. It might sound a bit um, extravagant to say that, but I think the, the system's finished. Some of the players in it are finished. We need to change it. The options aren't outstanding, but the surprise factor works for me against Manchester City. The bond on the left, no one expects us to do that. It worked, we won, and I think we should do something similar again. So I am going to make genuine case for Marvin Sodell starting up front on Saturday, right? Okay, stick with me. Last five minutes of the podcast, right? Stick with me. Sodell has I feel to play. coming on for this week. This is why, right? Wes Morgan has been playing very well for Leicester City. But he is very slow. Now, if we play Volks and Ings up front, Ings has not got in behind teams at all, all season. And Volks doesn't look like he's got the legs for that at the moment. So we need to play a striker who's got pace. The only striker we've got who's got pace is Sodell. Now, on top of that, I think 4-3-3 is a good system for us for this particular game because Leicester are likely to play a 4-3-3. And also, because Barnes is injured, I think it's it's the best fit for what we've got left. So, honestly, what I would be thinking, and I'm not telling Dyche how to do his job because he's done extremely well overall, but I think if we played Sodell, Ings and Volks across the front, that's quite a mobile attack. Played Taylor in midfield with Jones and Arfield, and that would be quite solid in midfield. And I think that's got a reasonable chance of getting something. I just think if we only make one change, we're sticking with Volksley's out of form, Ingsley's out of form, Jonesy's out of form, Arfield's out of form. All these players in the same role, doing the same job, expecting them to suddenly find a performance. I, I don't see where it's coming from. And um, although the Taylor and Jones thing, Jordan's pointed out, I think they're a bit slow and bad in the air to play as a two I think if you've got Arfield in there to do the running for them then we could keep the ball you've got some width in there from full back in particular Trippier Boyd would probably be a bit unlucky to miss out but he could play instead of Volks maybe it gives even more mobility up front so there you go that's my case Sod out front because he can run and none of the other strikers have been doing much running 
So, go on, rubbish my theory. Um, you don't know where to start, do you? Shell shots. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> uh, well, the biggest issue is, um, will we have ever worked on any of that on the training ground? Which, you know, I get the feeling that, that the couple of strategies we have used, I think, have probably all been 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 drilled a little bit. Um, Just sorry, we have played something quite close to four three three at times, so it wouldn't be completely foreign. Yeah, but I think we normally play that um, Steve Cottrell, Owen Coyle era, false second striker sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's the no, I, I, I mean, I, I personally make some tweaks. Um, maybe if I was going to go along the lines of what you're saying, maybe. Um, Drop books to the bench. Uh, no, probably just not put Sodell in, to be honest. Um, <laughs> eat Boyd, but sort of play Boyd behind the two strikers. Um, yeah, you could, I've, I've thought about that quite a lot this season because he seems to be dangerous when he comes inside, but the games where he's actually played in the middle, he played in the middle against Everton and didn't touch the ball after we went 9 to 10 men doesn't seem effective so I think it is just when he drifts into that area rather than where yeah I just think we'd really miss his you know his energy and his his running um, because I think that is so what about if you didn't play Volks and played Boydings and Sordell up front then yeah he could do I'd just be the reason then you don't have anyone to win the ball yeah that's what I was thinking when I was going to say Originally, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say maybe drop Vokes and put Boyd in. But then you think when, you know, you knock it up from the back, like we do quite a lot. Don't knock it up from the back then. Who's, well, I don't, to be, not to be harsh to Michael Duff, um, but I don't think he's a a ball playing centre half. That's true. I think lobbing the ball up is probably what is just best. Although, Um, just, just to counter that, this, it would have a three man midfield, so there would be Taylor and Jones coming deep for the ball. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I can see that, but I think Jason Shackle's also quite guilty of hitting it on quite a lot, and obviously, yeah, I think it, it's to, something we've we've gone with a bit too much. Yeah, I just I would just be concerned. There's no one to to nod it down to Boyd, um, sort of the thinking. But I understand that. I just, I just think the, the playing the long balls hasn't really worked. So I'd be looking for a different style play. Have I managed to convince you at all, Jordan? Have you found some flaws in my argument? Um, I think. I don't know. At first, I was kind of... Everyone's just speechless about the idea of Marvin Sordell <laughs> yeah, all, starting a football match. Can, I, can I remind everyone, Marvin Sordell started at Spurs in the Cup and scored a goal. <laughs> What's he did, goal? but I also, I also met him. That's one more goal than Lukas Jokovic has scored this season and the same number of goals as Sam Bolts has scored this season. I also met him at Southampton though, on, the, on the platform. Name dropper. And he looked genuinely surprised that anyone recognised him in the <laughs> track suit. So, do you remember the start of the season? What was the hashtag he used when he first signed for? I'm sure Adam will remember. Adam will remember and put it on the, the chat that we used. But it just seems like such a genuine boy. I really like it. Anyway, Jordan. Um, <laughs> um, Teamwork makes the dream work. That was it. <laughs> um, I was kind of thinking, like, if we started tweaking things now, um, you know, I, I didn't really sort of maybe see the point. But to be honest, we don't have really anything to lose. I mean, you know, we, we need points and wins. The only thing we can do is lose our remaining five games, which I don't think will happen anyway. But I mean, you know, it took us 10 games to win a game this season. I don't, we obviously can't afford to wait anywhere near that length of time to do that um, in this little dry spell. So I personally, yeah, I've been sort of uh, won round by your, by your persuasiveness. Yeah, I'd have to change the email, email Sean Dash and see what he thinks. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. I do definitely agree with three up front. Um, so it's more the sword out? I, I think it's more when I start thinking about it, I'm suddenly like, where's the wing gone? So yeah. Which just concerned me, but 
I did. I have in quite a lot of games this season when I've been watching, uh, particularly the home games that I've actually been at in person. I've been, you know, if there has been someone like this, which a lot of the time there isn't, so I've been saying it to myself, but I've been sort of saying, let's just put three up front. Let's just, you know, let's put four up front. Well, when Barnes came into the side, I thought we were going to play three up front, and Barnes just played as a, a, a normal left winger, really. Well, I thought, I did think that actually. I saw someone tweet Burnley are going with two strikers up front, and that's, I was like, but. They must be free up front because there's no way of Barnes. <laughs> Carrying on your fingers going, huh? Vault, Ings, Barnes. That, that's, that's <laughs> and I was, like, I was just thinking that neither of the three of those are going to play on the wing. So I was like, we must be playing free up front. Um, which was probably what I'd City so surprised as well. But no, I, yeah, I think free up front you know, could work. I think we just need to, just need to score, don't we? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Just, but, yeah, Outstanding. The more I don't want to take walks out because you know when um, Trippy is going to get crosses in and Mee's going to get crosses in, even though Vaux maybe isn't in the best of form. If you've got three strikers in there, one of them's going to have to be in the right position. To be honest, and if you've got three guys in the box and none of them can get in a position to get on a ball that you know the quality that Kieran Trippier can put in, then we might as well pack up and go home, aren't we? So this is my thoughts. I mean, I think the problem with the four-four-two is that the wingers that we play on particularly known for their crossing. I don't think Boyd's crossing is particularly up to much. Kylie's got it in him, but I think he's crossing quite inconsistent. So in this 4-3-3, which probably isn't going to happen, the width comes from the fullbacks, and we know Trippier can put those balls in from deep as well. So I would just be saying, get the ball out wide and get it in the box and have three players in there. And just get it in the mixer. Get it in the mixer, exactly that. Um, so please get in touch. Let us know what you think of my radical play Marvin, Marvin Slodell um, tactic. The email address is podcast at net, or you can tweet us at net as well. Um, one other theory I saw on Twitter, actually, that we can talk quite briefly is the potential for going three at the back, which is even more radical than, than what I've just put forward, and then play sort of wing-backs, Trippier and um, Ward as wing-backs, me, Shackle, Duff at the back and then you've got two up front and a three-man midfield but I think it's even more unlikely that Dash would such a, a big shift. Do you want to hear something even more radical on that? Six at the back, two you know, at you're the gonna, back. You're going to play wing back. It's Stephen Ward, Ross Wallace. He has That's played left back. Yeah. Yeah. He has played left back before for Celtic. You know, he's got a good cross on him. Left wing back, Ross Wallace. Right wing back, Kieran Trippier. <laughs> <laughs> going to get some great crosses in. Um, are... <laughs> probably not going to be great. <laughs> but they always say attack's the best form of defence. I, I looked at the three wing, the three at the back with wing-backs and went, yeah, maybe. I certainly didn't think Ross Wallace at left wing-back would be the solution there. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, Jordan <laughs> agreed with me, at least. <laughs> Ross Wallace at left wing-back. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> looking ahead to the last game, then, we've talked about it quite a lot already. Jordan, what are you expecting to see from the game? Quite often, games between teams at the bottom are quite tense, but tense and tight. But Leicester have been really going for it the last few weeks. They've been very attacking. Do you think they'll do the same on Saturday? Yeah, I think they will do. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, they play with a lot of pace, and I think both teams will be looking to sort of come out with traps flying, which um, shouldn't hopefully make for an entertaining game. Whether that happens or not, um, we don't know. As you say, it could well very be just one of those tight tense affairs where it's only um, a one goal margin that settles it but I'd hope not I think you know with the crowd behind us and if we can get off to fast starts that you know we were um, accustomed uh, to uh, last season um, I certainly think that you know we can put the the cat amongst the pigeons and if we can get an early goal then then I'd fancy us I mean I think their heads would drop and um, yeah I'd I'd think like I said a goal maybe in the opening 15 minutes would be ideal really just to sort of settle the nerves Um, I think it'd 
many of the players express themselves a bit more and um yeah i i think um yeah i think it'll be a good game i think uh an early an early goal would be nice i think any goal would just be nice to be honest at this stage <laughs> um you'd be glad to hear, i've been to the last three games and we haven't scored a goal so you'll be glad to hear i'm staying away on saturday for the for the good of the team on taking one for the team by not going to the match. James, what are you expecting from Saturday? Do you think Leicester, having won the last three games, do you think they might be quite happy with the point or are they going to be trying to really kick us in the nuts by doing another win? Yeah, I think they're going to be looking for a win. Um, you know, particularly after what Pearson said at, at their place where he thought that we'd robbed them. Which He's so bitter about that, yeah. wasn't he? I'm sure he wants to get one over on us. Which to me shows that he was actually watching a completely different game because if anything, I thought they robbed us. Um, but then again, he has been a bit off the rails, hasn't he, so far this season? He's probably lucky actually to still have a job, particularly when, wasn't he? He said to a member of catering staff in a press conference who yawned, Am I boring you? So, oh, am I <laughs> well, they did, they, they did they sacked him and then unsacked him a few hours later, apparently. Yeah, Plus, which, he, he attacked an opposition player, which is amazing. Those two scenes in a row, managers done that. Pardew did it last season and didn't get the sack, and Pierce and still this season and he got the sack it's yeah, crazy what they get away with I mean just his, his press conferences are from a different planet you know um, I don't I, it seems a bit I imagine into that room just not having a clue what you're going to get um, yeah you won't want to go would you <laughs> but no I think they're going to come for the win and um, you know we need the win so we're going to have to have to match them um, but it's, it's going to be a tough one I am going and I haven't seen a goal in a little while I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I hope we do. I hope we do go for it because I think the concern is. I think Dyche is a naturally cautious manager, and I think his his thought will be to stay in the game as long as possible, which is what we've done in the last. Like we were doing it Everton with ten men, we were still playing for the last ten minutes, which I thought was ludicrous and it didn't work. We were doing it against Arsenal when we were losing as well, playing for the last ten minutes and then trying to get one at the end. It didn't work either. So I really hope we don't do that again and just have a good go for it because at this stage of the season we're just as well losing three nil as one nil. I think. Yeah, I mean to be honest, at this point I'd be so. Sort of- I can't remember what our goal difference is like compared to teams against rounders, but I won't be thinking about it. Or I'd be almost um, Owen Cole tactics, which is, you know, we'll score one more than you. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, like I said, I don't think that's what he's going to do, but I hope we do have a real goal, and I'm, I'm sure the players will be up for it. I think one of the, the most frustrating things for me about Saturday was that all week we'd have players in the press going, we've still got belief, we've not been winning games, but we still believe, hashtag believe, all this stuff. And then on the pitch, it just didn't look like any of them believed. So I, that, that's what I want to see first and foremost. I want to see that they believe we can stay up. I want to see some fight, and I want to see score a goal. And hopefully, I'm not asking too much. Let's round off with some predictions then Jordan you first um, I think I it will be 2-1 um, to Burnley uh, Ings and Jason Shackle he only scores against Rovers I'm afraid so that's not going to happen James oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go 7-4 um, no I'm going to get crazy 3-1 um, three, three, Danny <laughs> gets a brace and if your crazy tactic comes off, Marvin Sodal gets the opener. I, th- I think there will be goals. I'm hopeful that we're going to go for it. And I think Leicester, Leicester are going to go for it as well. I suspect there will be an early goal either way and that'll make it a bit more open. But I've, I've got no confidence at all. <laughs> you, I, I think we are going to lose it. But doesn't necessarily mean we don't because we would still need three wins from the last four. That is about all we've got time for. It's, it's quite a long podcast this week already. I think we've had the two games to go over. Thanks to John and James for joining me. If you've got any comments, feedback, or if you'd like to be a guest one week, please do get in touch. Email address is podcast.nonenever.net. You can tweet us as well. 
at no near never nets thanks as well to our sponsors at neville g we couldn't do the website or the podcast without them so we are eternally grateful for them we'll we'll be back next week internet permitting and hopefully hopefully we'll have a goal to talk about and maybe even a win so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.